You're listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business. Your host, Tom Mayonect. All kinds of stuff going on in the world of sport, which means, by extension, it's a very busy week in the business of sport. Happy to have you along for the ride on this edition of The Sport Market. If you've heard the show before, thanks for sticking in. If this is your first time, we're about the bulls and bears of sport business. Everything to do with the business side of sport, both professional and community, that's on our agenda here. Tom Mayanek, along with Tino Farah in the producer's chair, thanking you for your support of the sport market. We've got so much ground to cover simply because this is one of the biggest shoulder seasons in professional sport. We talk about it a lot on this show, how the two primary shoulder seasons are April, where you've got, of course, the the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, You've got the Masters. You've got the NCAA Final Four. Uh, That's quite a bit in and of itself. But what makes it go off the charts, especially here in Canada, is you've got the beginning of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And for a lot of you listeners, that first round of the NHL uh, playoffs is the best hockey because you've got eight rounds Eight matchups happening wall-to-wall television. Then you add in the fact that you've got the NBA, the association's playoffs. And so those are games that really, really matter. NHL and NBA have been going shoulder-to-shoulder, making that April month really pop out on the calendar. But then you've got October, where we're at right now. And the single biggest thing that October has that April doesn't have is NFL football. And when it comes to the business of football, the business of sport, there is nothing bigger than the shield. There's nothing bigger than the NFL. And that is what makes, at least from my vantage point, at this stage of the game, I've always been an April guy because of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I do believe that this is the high point now. There's more volume in terms of sport business stuff going on in October than in April. And especially because we haven't exactly had a lot to cheer about as Canadian fans when it comes to the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. At the beginning of the season, everybody is pretty well on an even playing field. We'll get into all that this hour as well. We've got our opening bell commentary just around the corner. We've got the billion dollar club, some franchises worth 10 figures. And we've got hot stuff for weekly merchandising and apparel report. Uh, we'll be uh, joined uh, here this hour by Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun. We'll get him to weigh in on where he thinks the MLB postseason is as we approach the later games of the ALCS and the NLCS. And wow, a couple of big late-inning turnarounds last night making this a lot more interesting than it looked just a couple of days ago. We'll get into all of that as well. We'll also talk about our bulls and bears, the week's biggest winners and losers in the business of sport. Big week for Shaquille O'Neal. We'll tell you why. Big week for Tom Brady. 
We'll tell you why. And a big week for women's sports. And of course, that will headline the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits, our top three sport business stories of the week. At the top of the charts, the end of an era. Christine Sinclair gives notice that she'll be retiring from the national women's team and that this season with the Portland Thorns of the um, uh National Women's Soccer League will be her last as a professional. We'll get into all of that on the podium in just a couple of moments, but let's kick things off with our opening bell commentary. The Intuit Dome. Good morning, by the way. (laughs) The Intuit Dome is a $1.2 billion project in Inglewood, California. It'll be the new home of the Los Angeles Clippers of the NBA. Now, the big thing here is that the Clippers have been in the shadow of the Lakers their entire existence when they played at the L.A. Coliseum, when they played uh, at the uh, L.A. Arena, and even in their years at the Staples Center, um, uh, you know, in downtown L.A., they've been the tenants. The Lakers have been co-owners of the arena. That's about to change as early as next year. They're well into construction on the Intuit Dome. Again, $1.2 billion worth. And it's it's part of our opening bell commentary simply because you're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff. And when I say this kind of stuff, bells and whistles. Professional sports owners, front office, marketing teams, business development teams, ticketing teams, they know that they've got to do more than ever before to make the experience of going to a game special. Because otherwise, you're going to have less and less and less people willing to pay the prices of professional sport tickets, less people willing to pay for parking, less people willing to, you know, take an hour and a half, sometimes more, to drive into where that game is being held. But if you make the experience super special, if it's a unique unicorn-like experience, People will push the envelope in terms of what they're prepared to pay to attend live sports. And that's what we see in the L.A. Clippers. Uh, They've got uh, in uh, Inglewood, and they'll be right kitty-corner to SoFi Stadium, home of the Los Angeles Rams of the NFL. They're going to have a scoreboard, a video board, that literally measures an acre. That is how big a deal it will be. Uh, They will have a special, obviously they'll have the luxury suites, they'll have all those bells and whistles, but they're also going to have what they call the fan wall, which is essentially 51 rows with no suites interrupting. Literally just a wall of fans 51 rows high in that dedicated team zone, in that dedicated special fan zone. Those are some of the things that are being planned for the Intuit Dome. And as I said, watch for more stadiums to upgrade their amenities. Make sure that they can accommodate all of your devices and all of your your surfing needs during the game. VIP surfing, ordering food, interactive opportunities, all that and more. That's our opening bell commentary for this episode of The Sport Market. Let's check out our podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week, 
Here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. In the bronze medal position, a number three sport business story of the week. We're now a couple of weeks into the National Hockey League regular season. And as expected, the vast majority of the attention is on Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. And he's responded in kind. It just took him his second game. He got an assist in the first game. Uh, He scored his first ever NHL goal in his second start. Now Bedard with a shot. Same final mark. And that's history, and first of many, many more to come. I had to, I got a real kick out of some of you on Twitter slash X who were, uh, you know, indicating Connor Bedard is one goal, and then uh, you know, seeing how far be- behind Wayne Gretzky he was in the countdown. Of course, Alex Ovechkin uh, is getting closer and closer on that side of things. The story and the reason why Connor Bedard in the NHL is on our podium in the bronze medal position is the intense media spotlight that Bedard is under. We haven't seen anything like this since 2015 with Connor McDavid. And even back then, it wasn't the same. And not to take anything away from our Edmonton listeners, but Chicago is a bigger U.S. market, hence there's more media glare, more media opportunities than McDavid had with the Oilers, uh, you know, eight years ago. Also, He's playing with a heritage brand, an original six brand that puts a lot of additional uh, uh, pressure, a lot of additional capacity being required there in the third largest media market in the United States. But make no mistake, people are watching and wanting to make sure that it's not too much. He's got teammates talking about the fact that he should pull it back a little bit. I'm hoping that it stabilizes so that the Blackhawks and the NHL can continue to provide access to Connor Bedard because they need Connor Bedard in terms of superstar marketing. The NHL needs more stars, especially in terms of fan recognition south of the border. But Bedard has been such a trooper. He has been such a, how can I say, uh, accommodating star so early in his career. He talked about playing on Hockey Night in Canada. For the first time. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I mean, growing up and excited for Saturday nights and I guess Saturday all day, there's games. So, um, you know, that Hockey Night in Canada is, is special. It's like a tradition in, in the country, of course. So getting to be a part of that and, of course, being, you know, home opener of a Canadian franchise, it's, uh, it's pretty cool and special. And, of course, uh, uh, Connor Bedard uh, making history uh, with that first goal that you heard just a few seconds ago. We'll get into more of that later this hour here on the sport market. But in the silver medal position, a number two sport business story of the week, National Football League television continues to rock. 26 million and change watching Jets-Eagles. That's not only the biggest NFL viewership of the season in the United States. It is the most watched show on American television since last year's Super Bowl in February of 2023. That's how big a spike that is. It helps the NFL's average 
national audience hit 17 uh, million. But the Jets, of course, brought the Big Apple, that big media market, all kinds of speculation around what's happening in the quarterback position given the Aaron Rodgers injury. You add that to playing against what at the time was one of the two undefeated teams in the National Football League, and you get ratings magic. Hurts facing a four-man rush over the middle. It's intercepted. Picked off by Tony Adams. Adams on the run. Breaking tackles. Tossed down inside the 10. So that ended the Eagles' undefeated run. They're now 5-1 and one going into Week 8. Uh, you've also... Uh, got the San Francisco 49ers, who we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago here on the show, heritage brand that was off to a really good start. They're also now 5-1. and one. Uh, Their streak ended at the hands of the Cleveland Browns. So a lot of stuff happening last week that showed just how unpredictable the NFL is. And that's good for the business of NFL football. Parity is good for the NFL, especially given the way the playoff structure works and the wild card chases happen. But I wanted to just, as part of the podium, put the spotlight on Thursday night football. Because over the first five th- episodes of Thursday night football, which is streamed on Amazon, and that's the only place south of the border you can get it, is accessing the stream either in a sports bar or pub or by subscribing at home. You've got an average of 13.7 million over the first five Thursday night footballs. That doesn't include this Thursday night's uh, game in which the Jacksonville Jaguars defeated the New Orleans Saints. But 13.7 million is a very impressive average because it's just a couple of million south. All NFL games. We'll get into more of that in terms of the television juggernaut that is the NFL and what it means for the future of streaming to see Amazon having this much success in only their second year of exclusive media rights uh, as part of the NFL's national media partner team. But in the gold medal position, our number one sport business story of the week, it's the end of an era Christine Sinclair announces she's retiring from the Canadian national women's team. She'll play a couple of friendlies. She'll play uh, out uh, with the Portland uh, uh, Thorns of the National Women's Soccer uh, League team. But this is retirement. 24 years of her life, she's been in the media spotlight as Canada's top women's player, arguably as Canada's top player. She's the leading goal scorer in the world in women's soccer and overall. And Stephanie uh, Labbe, of course, uh, is one of those well-poised to talk about Christine Sinclair's impact on the younger players in Canada. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, that gold medal win was a true summary of Sinky's impact and the legacy that she's left. You know, there's players on that team that grew up idolizing her, that they grew up watching her, that were inspired to get into the sport because of her. And then for her to be able to not only put on individual performances to to impact that game, but I think that tournament showed Sinky's impact on the whole team. And the the performances that the team put in were a result of Sinky's impact over years and years and years. And so I think that's what's 
so special about that is she didn't have to be the person on the field in the final, you know, penalty shootout taking those kicks, but it ended with somebody like a Julia Grosso who in 2012 was watching the team and watching Sinky's incredible performances. And that's what inspired her to want to be on that team. So the the impact that Sinky has is is endless. And um, there's going to be so many stories that come out from her career of people that have been impacted by her, not only as players, but as fans as well. That is former Canadian women's national team and Olympic gold medal champion goaltender Stephanie Labbe on Christine Sinclair's impact, on Sinky's impact among the next generation and the last generation, last couple of generations of women's soccer players. There's just no question she's had more of an impact than any other single individual. I put her at the top of the charts now in terms of most impactful role model in women's sports. You've got Nancy Green, of course, and her incredible accomplishments back in the day, late 60s, Karen Magnuson in the 1970s. But no Canadian athlete has been in competitive prime for a quarter century the way that Christine Sinclair has on behalf of Canada. That's why I believe that one of Canada soccer's many priorities in terms of reshaping is making sure that her legacy is protected, making sure she has a voice in the future of the game moving forward because she's just that important to the the identity of Canadian soccer here in Canada. Those are our top three sport business stories of the week. A lot more on them this hour. We've also got Rob Longley checking in on the MLB postseason. That and a lot more still to come right here on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. Now more of the Sport Market. Rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. All kinds of stuff happening because we're on the verge of the only week to 10 day period the entire year in which all five major North American professional sports leagues are playing at the same time. And technically that's happening now with the NBA and exhibition season. But in terms of games that count, beginning on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week with the NBA tipping off, That marks, as I said, the beginning of a 7- to 10-day period in which all five leagues, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, and Major League Soccer are all playing at the same time. We'll get to our billion-dollar club in just a a couple of moments, some franchises worth 10 figures. Uh, Just quickly, though, this was such a big week for Shaquille O'Neal. He's got all kinds of endorsement deals. He's making more money now in retirement than he made even with his big contracts back in the day with the Lakers and the Orlando Magic and the Heat. But he became president basketball for Reebok. Allen Iverson is his vice president basketball for Reebok. This shows a big push by Reebok on basketball apparel and basketball shoes. And of course, right away, he signs Angel Reese of LSU, Louisiana State University, to one of the biggest NIL deals that we have seen. So there's a tie-in to how big a week this has been in women's sports with Christine Sinclair's retirement. And make no mistake, 
women's sport is going through a real quick elevation in terms of significance and business capacity. We'll get into that in just a couple of moments. But first, we're going to check out some franchises worth 10 figures. The Billion Dollar Club. Billion Dollar Club, when this show began, had a dozen franchises worth $1 billion or more. Now, 15 years later, there are just under 100 franchises worth a billion dollars or more in the business of sport globally. And the most valuable franchise in the world, the highest valued revenue driver on the planet, continues to be the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL. Now, they haven't won a Super Bowl in a generation, but they're valued by Forbes magazine at $9 billion U.S. That's a 13% pop year over year because of just how increasingly strong the revenue generation is on the NFL's uh, national media deals. The Cowboys and all the franchises benefit. But just think of it. They're, they, they, you know, 15 years ago, they were crossing a billion dollars in value. Now it's ninefold that, $9 billion for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. Looking at this Christine Sinclair story, I'll put it out there again. Not only was she talented and is she talented, but obviously knew how to score goals. A natural born leader with quiet confidence. She doesn't have to be the loudest voice in the room or the most uh, words per minute in the room. But she inspired a generation of Canadian girls to play soccer, including some of her teammates now that will be asked to take on the mantle of leadership. They consolidated their interest in soccer because of Christine Sinclair. And I will repeat what I said off the top of the show. I would suggest, you you tell me a Canadian athlete who has had more impact as a role model, especially to females, to, to girls and to women, than Christine Sinclair. And that's an acknowledgement of great, great Canadian Olympians, such as Nancy Green and what she did in 1968 in Grenoble, France. Karen Magnuson, what she did in the early 1970s as one of the best figure skaters on the planet. They were skiing and figure skating role models and winter sport role models, and no question, they had an impact, and they're still relevant to this day. But Christine Sinclair began to make national media headlines at the age of 14, 15. She's been in the spotlight since age 16, She's now ushering out her career essentially after 24 years, a quarter century in the media spotlight. And just by longevity alone, that's why I'm very comfortable suggesting no one has had more impact as a role model than Christine Sinclair. Now, of course, for Hockey stars like Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, and now Connor Bedard, obviously there's a massive professional network built around them that's more extensive 
than the soccer media and corporate infrastructure has 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 become and it'll continue to grow especially with FIFA 2026 coming down the pikes. My one regret for Christine Sinclair is that the Australia New Zealand Women's World Cup wasn't a better farewell. It must have been so frustrating for Christine Sinclair to go through the lead up where she and others felt that the Canadian women's national team wasn't getting enough investment to be properly prepared for down under, but for her to have to say goodbye to formal international competition with such a disappointing performance team-wise is disappointing for her overall legacy. But let's watch now to see what kind of a voice she has in the game moving forward, whether it's the planned professional women's soccer uh, league or if it's the Canadian national team or if it's Canada soccer itself. And while we're talking about women's sport, let's give credit to the Las Vegas aces of the WNBA. They're a powerhouse. And you got to give Mark Davis, who also owns the uh, LA Raiders, uh, sorry, at the, the former LA Raiders, the former Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, got to give him credit. He's done a very good job investing in the uh, Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA. Uh, they're the first team in women's basketball with a dedicated purpose-built facility. They've got star power in the front office with Tom Brady, a minority owner, an investor in the team. And check it out from Brady's point of view. He gets officially confirmed October 2nd as an owner of the uh, Las Vegas Aces. And October 18th, just over two weeks later, he's a WNBA champion to add to his seven Super Bowl rings. So a big week for Tom Brady. And by the way, shout out to Tom Brady. When he did that card uh, uh, show appearance wearing Montreal Expos gear, give him full credit. Some of you might not recall, but before his incredible career in the NFL, there were a lot of people thinking that he would actually play Major, Major League Baseball, and he was drafted by the Montreal Expos back in the day. And that history came to light just uh, in the last 10 days or so. And, 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 and kudos for Tom Brady for having the news angle sense to go that route. Next up, we check in on the Major League Baseball postseason. This was a postseason. This was a playoffs that was too efficient until the last couple of days. You had four sweeps in the wild card round. You had only two games above the minimum in the divisional series that both finished three and one on the National League Championship. Two of them finished three and one, two of them finished three and oh as sweeps. So you get all the way to the LCS, and then the first two games are won by the Rangers and the Phillies, respectively. And you're thinking, wow, you're going to have another sweep here? And that's not what the doctors ordered for MLB. MLB wants to get as much airtime as possible over these couple of weeks. And that's why 
what the Houston Astros and the Arizona Diamondbacks have done last uh, a few nights has completely changed the complexion. We'll get into that with Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun next, right here on the Sport Market, on the Sport Market Radio Network and the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Manette. The 01. High fly ball to deep left field. Back to the wall. Makes the moment again. Astros lead in the night. Just as we were. CSs might be sweeps or pretty short series, five, maximum six games. The Houston Astros have turned the ALCS on its head. They now lead 3-2, one game away from the World Series after falling behind two games to none at home at Minute Maid Park earlier in the week. And give kudos to the Arizona Diamondbacks because they're also level with the Philadelphia Phillies after losing their first two games. Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun on the Blue Jays beat and obviously on the Major League Baseball beat joins us here on the Sport Market and on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob, first of all, were you thinking a couple of days ago that this postseason was just being way too efficient for Major League Baseball and that they might not get what they want, which, of course, is as much media time and fan engagement time as possible? I certainly was. It was starting to look that way, Tom, except for one thing. I mean, of all the major pro sports in North America, there's there's no postseason that's more volatile and unpredictable unpredictable than Major League Baseball. And it was almost too good to be true that it was it was following that script that the that the favorites were were winning those series and were likely going to uh, headed towards anyway having a short league championship series and and getting on to the World Series. But uh, um, you know that's why we hear general managers from across baseball all year long saying you just have to get in and you have a chance. And certainly recent history over the last three or four playoffs in Major League Baseball have has proven that. What has surprised you the most about the MLB postseason so far? I would have to say the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, they're a team that, that uh, we're, we're sort of a middling team for much of the season and, you know, are the true upstarts of, of this postseason. And I think zooming out and, 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 and taking a broader look, it's, it's how much um, power is playing. Uh, the home run ball is, is, is critical and, you know, as we tra- transition to talk about the Blue Jays a little later on, um, that was certainly something that was lacking with the Toronto Ball Club. And all these remaining four teams ha- have the power to go deep and have been doing it uh, quite regularly this postseason. You know, and that's and that's maybe an early transition to the Jays, and we'll bounce around a little bit here. But when you compare what the power hitters, what the what the vaunted offensive contributors have done, especially for the Phillies and the Diamondbacks, uh, where the Dodgers' big stars, they basically didn't show up in the way that they they're accustomed to over the course of the last uh, the last decade. Uh, it's also really what plagued the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, where the team has been built around, didn't really show up for the for the wild card series. Yeah, and you know, and I think that was I think it raised a few eyebrows last off season, right around this time actually, when Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins essentially made the declaration that um, 
you know, we're going to transition to making sure we have one of the best pitching teams in the league and one of the best defensive teams in the league, and, and we'll sacrifice some offense to do it um, by getting rid of Lourdes Goriel Jr., who, of course, has played a role with the Diamondbacks, and Teoscar Hernandez. Um, it, it, at the time, it seemed to make sense because the, the general feeling was that there was enough offense on that Toronto team to carry, carry them anyway. And as the season played out, you know, pitching and defense were certainly the strengths of the of the Blue Jays. But offense was lacking, uh, particularly in critical times and partic- particularly in power situations. And it couldn't be in more contrast to what we're seeing by the teams that are doing well this postseason. We're talking to Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, talking the business of the MLB playoffs and postseason, and also the business of the offseason for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, it's been 10 days now, almost two weeks, since Ross Atkins had what would have to rank as one of the, let's say, more awkward media conferences in Blue Jays history. Uh, certainly, there was a lot of moving parts, a lot of intensity around uh, the presentation and what he said and what he didn't say, who he hung out to dry and who he didn't hang out to dry. Um, Has that significantly retreated to the back of uh, of the clubhouse or has the damage been done and it will affect the off season even as a context setter moving forward? I have to believe Tom that, that, you know, reparations going to have to be done in the off season. And I don't see a way where it can't uh, hinder some of the things this team is going to want to do. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you look at entering the free agent market again with, with some sort of aggression, because they're going to have four or five new bodies that they're going to have to acquire. And having said that, um, the Blue Jays have a good rep- reputation around major league baseball for some of the things that they do, right. They have one of the elite uh, player development complexes down in Dunedin, Florida, um, they're well known for taking great care of families that come up here to Toronto and and help help families tr- tr- uh, transition into the to the Canadian culture. So that reputation is there. However, baseball players talk a lot, and and there was certainly a disgruntled segment in in the Toronto Blue Jays clubhouse, not just for the decision to take Jose Barrios out of the game, but the way that it was handled prior to, during, and after. And that was only exacerbated by the way that uh, Ross Atkins handled himself. And in, in as you suggested, Tom, was one of the uh, wildest uh, press conferences that, that I've ever attended in terms of the way that he was defensive. Um, maybe it was just too fresh. The team had only arrived back in Toronto the previous the, uh, on Thursday night, and this press conference took place on Saturday. And it, it, it was clear to me anyway that, that Ross Atkins was somewhat wounded at, at that time and, and still... perhaps to the team's detriment because it certainly didn't play well in terms of the way the media handled it um, for good reason. And it will be interesting to see how much it lingers into the offseason. Can he make things good moving forward? And what does he have to do to make things good? I think one of the main things that this front office has to do, and he acknowledged it to his credit, as did Mark Shapiro in his season-ending uh, press gathering and essentially um, the lines of communication have to be stronger and I think perhaps most importantly um, there's going to have to be a real strong en- endorsement of, of manager John Schneider 
beyond just saying that he's going to be back for next season, which he's already done. I think it's going to have to be made clear that John Schneider is the man who makes the call on the field. He's the leader of the team. He's the leader of the clubhouse. He is, he is a key decision maker in the entire process because right now, uh, right or wrong, the perception is that, that he is just uh, a pigeon for what the front office wants to do. And, um, you know, I, I think that's unfair on both ends. It's a little bit unfair to what the baseball operations uh, department does, and it's a little bit unfair to, to John Schneider, who's got a little bit of old-school manager in him but, is, but has to operate under the, uh, the, the new ways that uh, the baseball front offices operate. But I think it's going to be very important that he has a strong endorsement for, from the front office and I think that would go a long way to repairing some of the uh, the, the uh, lack of confidence in, in the clubhouse because players that I've talked to both on and off the record have were dumbfounded by what happened. And, and, and again, more, more so for the way that it was handled before and after. Uh, you know, Berrios, one of those that requires a lot of rationale, a lot of um, wound healing, in my view. He handled it complete with complete class, but there's just no way that he feels better about being a Blue Jay after being taken out when he was bringing his A game in that wild card series. We've got Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun talking Jays and talking MLB postseason on the business side. If you succeeded Ross Atkins as general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, what would be your single biggest priority of the offseason? I think think you really have to worry about, uh, well, two things. Um, one, you have to get a, a, a quality veteran third baseman somehow. I mean, I think we've seen Davis Snyder could move in and, and be at, le- at, the, at the very least a utility man. But, you know, just because he had a month, a, a month of outstanding play in the big leagues doesn't mean that he's ready to handle the hot corner. So that would be one priority. But I think the top priority, Tom, would be to get some power back, to get some guys that, can, that are proven hitters. Um, and I suspect there's going to be some changes to the coaching staff and, and in particular, the, uh, the hitting coaches. Um, it, it's the, they're the easy culprit when things don't go well, but it, but it's clear that they're going to have to do, the Blue Jays are going to do something to, to regenerate what was one of the best offenses in baseball as recently as, as two seasons ago. So priority, priority number one for me as the new general manager is to, to get some of those runs back because, um, you know, as much as the team is, in terms of the business of sport, Tom, we're well aware that this team has got a huge constituency from coast to coast in this country. But in a lot of ways, um, the 2023 version, version was, was not overly likable. And, and what I mean by that was there were so many close games. Um, there were so many games where they could not score runners. Their, their, their performance with runners in scoring uh, position was deplorable. Um, and, and that's not fun baseball to watch. The, the teams from 2021 and 2022 were great teams to watch in that regard. They were exciting. They scored a lot of runs. Yeah, they may have given up a lot of runs too and made some, some defensive blunders in the infield and the outfield, but they were a lot of fun to watch. Home runs are fun. Scoring is fun. It's fun in any sport. And I, you know, you know, I think that's, uh, that's an issue that, that has to be addressed. And the, the simplest way is, is to get some guys who can swing the bat in and 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 get some more pop overall to that offense. Do you think there is a Teoscar Hernandez 2.0? Uh, I don't. I'm not so sure that he would come back to Toronto. I think that uh, I think that Blue Jays, the Blue Jays coaching staff, and not and and management, and not without reason, were concerned about some of the inconsistencies with him. As as much as he was a popular guy with the fans and a popular player in that clubhouse, 
and a guy with some great pop. I mean, he could go through some really long periods of struggle at the plate and, and a lack of concentration in the field. He wasn't a very reliable outfielder. And, you know, when they talked about um, improving pitching and defense, the outfield defense was what was one of the key priorities and in getting Dalton Varsho, they did just that. Uh, unfortunately, they, they had hoped and expected that Dalton Varsho would provide a little bit more offense and young player that he is, that could still come around. But uh, yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. would be, or, or sorry, Teoscar Hernandez would be a, a fit for, for the Blue Jays. Um, getting a little longer in the tooth, a uh, free agent is likely going to be looking for a multi-year deal. And, and I really can't see a situation where, the Jays bite on that. Rob, so appreciate it. On our way out the door, want to ask you, who wins the World Series 2023? I think I'm going to go with the Phillies. You know, I think they're, they're, they're a team that is, is peaking at the right time. I love the way they're managed. You know, we talk about, we talked a lot about uh, managing baseball games early in this conversation. And the Canadian Rob Thompson is, to me, the perfect blend of old school and, and analytics and, and knows when to, when to push the button at the right time. They're a team that's pitching well, and they're a team that's that's hitting spectacularly well, and I think that, that they would be my choice to win at this point. So appreciate you taking time out to be with us. We'll look forward to checking in with you again real soon. Enjoy the off season. We'll be following all your stuff at the Toronto Sun, and I look forward to getting back on the sport market. Sounds great. Thanks, Tom. Have hey, all, all the best. He is Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, talking Jays, talking MLB postseason. Next up, we finish strong with hot stuff. The biggest, hottest selling jerseys in the NFL so far this season. That's next, right here on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market on Sportsnet 650. Volkel, one out. He deals. Thomas in the air to right field. That's back. Castellanos on the run. And we are tied. Alec Thomas takes the ride of his life. So the Arizona Diamondbacks do their thing in the bottom of the eighth inning to turn around what was looking like a 3-1 to one Phillies lead in the best-of-seven National League Championship Series. That's now tied at two. And wow, Jose Altuve, a dramatic clutch three-run blast in the top of the ninth inning in Texas where now the Astros are just one game away from yet another berth in the World Series. Our Bulls and Bears were bullish on Shaquille O'Neal. We're bullish on Tom Brady, of course, winning a championship as an owner now with the WNBA Aces. We're bullish on NFL video streaming and women's sports. We're bearish on... Jets attendance, Winnipeg Jets attendance, and the NHL just can't seem to get its head around how to do diversity. On our podium, funded by Alpine Credits, Christine Sinclair's retirement is gold, National Football League TV ratings, silver, and Connor Bedard in the bronze medal position for all the media attention that he's getting as expected as a generational player in the NHL playing for a heritage brand that is the Chicago Blackhawks. It's time to check out some hot stuff. Hot stuff. 
What's hot in jerseys, merchandising, and licensing on the sport market. In the National Football League, the three hottest selling jerseys are Mika Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys. His number 11 is the hottest selling jersey so far this season. Uh, the Cowboys, of course, have made our billion dollar club earlier, $9 billion of franchise value. Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles, his number one is the second hottest selling jersey in the league. And then Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, his number 15 ranked third so far this season going into week eight and for you Swifties Travis Kelsey's number 87 is the fifth hottest selling jersey in the National Football League expect that to stay strong throughout the course of this season You've been listening to us rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network.